The reading this morning is from Romans chapter 5, um, verses 1 to 11, and it's um, on page 1,132 of the Church Bibles. Um, that's Romans chapter 5, um, page 1,132 on the Church Bibles. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, and character hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Not only is this so, but we also boast in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. This is the word of God. Good morning. Sylvia, thank you so much for reading our passage. Let's pray as we begin. Father, we thank you so much for your word that we can sit here now and hear you speak to us through it. We pray that your spirit be at work in me as I proclaim your word and be at work in everyone who's hearing, be at work in all of our hearts, Father. We pray that um, yeah, you'd give us a great understanding of what the cross has achieved. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. When you hear the word reconciliation, I wonder what images you see in your mind's eye. Who or what comes to mind? Nelson Mandela, Martin Luther King, the fall of the Berlin Wall, the Good Friday Agreement. It's not hard to, to picture those people or events when we think of reconciliation. Be interesting to know, though, when it comes to this topic of reconciliation, how many of us think of the cross? I suspect that many of us, when, when we hear, hear words like propitiation or justification, the cross comes to mind readily enough. But what about when we hear reconciliation? Does the same happen? I don't think we think of the cross as much as we do. Here's why I think we should, though. God, through his word shows us just how potent the reconciling power of the cross is. So no event in human history 
has brought about greater reconciliation than the cross of Jesus Christ. And here's why that's such encouraging news. We live in a world where there's so much division. A world where countries are at war with each other. A world where neighbors resent each other. A world where family members don't talk to each other. Yes, the Good Friday Agreement in Northern Ireland was very good. But, but there's still sectarianism. And it can be violent, even murderous. Yes, the end of apartheid in South Africa was amazing. But the country's still riven with division. We live in a divided world. As great as the fall, the Berlin Wall, the end of the apartheid, and the Good Friday Agreement all were, we need a much bigger solution. And that is what the cross provides. Friends, indeed, the reconciliation that the cross achieves, it couldn't be more far-reaching. It not only mends divisions that humans have with one another, it also mends the division that humans have with God. And it even mends creation itself. That's the reconciling power of the cross. And we're going to look at each one of those in turn. And we're going to start off by diving into the passage we just had read for us. Uh, but we are going to look at other bits of the New Testament as well, because there isn't a single passage in the New Testament that covers all the reconciliation terrain. One theologian says that reconciliation is the big thing about in, in the New Testament. I'm not sure I quite agree, but I think it's one of the top themes in the New Testament, but some say it's, it's, it's the theme. So what is reconciliation according to the Bible? Reconciliation is this. Because of Jesus' death, you have peace with God. That's our first point. Have a look down at Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then look down also at verse 10. For if, while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more, having been reconciled, shall we be saved through his life? Friends, how have we been reconciled to God through the death of God's son, through the cross? Paul says that if you have faith in Jesus, then you have peace with God. But what does that mean? It means two things. First, it means that we are no longer enemies with God, as we see there in verse 10. Do you see why we, why we needed to be reconciled to God? We were his enemies. That's pretty strong, isn't it? So it's not merely that we were those who drifted from God or that we were simply misguided. No, we were hostile to God. We were his enemies. And here's why. Later on in Romans, Paul says, the mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law. 
nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Friends, that is what all of us were. Apart from Christ, we do not live for God, but for self. We live as we please rather than as God wills. You see, our hearts hum, my will be done, instead of thy will be done. We are by nature hostile to God's rule, which means that we're at enmity with him. But there's, there's hostility from humanity towards God and from God towards humanity as a result. But thankfully, that is not the end of the story. Wonderfully, God intervenes. Have a look at verse 6. You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. And then verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners... Christ died for us. What did God do about our enmity with him? He made a way to heal, to restore our relationship with him. Notice how how we're described in these verses. Powerless, ungodly, sinners. We were powerless. In other words, there was nothing that you and I could do to restore a relationship with God. We needed God to step in. And we were ungodly. Did God intervene because he thought, do you know what? Actually, they're not too bad. Maybe I should give them another chance. No. We were ungodly. We were opposed to God. We were at war with him. It's precisely while we were these things, powerless, ungodly, sinners, that God implemented his peace plan. So God didn't wait for us to to first get our act together. We couldn't. Rather, He unilaterally made a way for peace. And this shows us just how vast his love is. When did Jesus die for us? While we were sinners. When were we reconciled to God? While we were enemies. Do you see the point? God loved you before you were lovable. While we love people who are easy to love, God loves people who are hard to love. You know how Jesus uh, tells his followers, love your enemies? He doesn't say that because he's, he's just really keen for us to be nice people. He says that because That is what God is like. Jesus wants us to imitate 
God who loves his enemies. And friends, we should be so delighted that that is the case. Because if it weren't, we would never have been reconciled to God. It's only because God loves his enemies that you and I are able to have peace with him. Now, what does this peace mean? What are its implications? Have a look at verse 2. Through whom, that is, through Jesus, we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. What does peace with God mean? So it doesn't mean that our relationship with him has gone from, from being a negative one to a mere neutral one. So, so it's not that we've gone from being his enemies to now being tolerated by him. Rather, peace means that we now have access to God. And folks, this word is loaded with theological meaning. Think of Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis. What happened when they rebelled? They were cast out of God's presence. They they lost access to God, so to speak. Thankfully, though, the story didn't end there. God God later chose to restore his relationship with humanity through Israel, who were given access to him. How were they given that access? In Leviticus, we learn about how the Israelites were able to draw near to God through the sacrificial system, through their sins being atoned. This is the language that Paul, or this is what Paul's language is evoking. Just as Israel was able to dwell with God in their midst, now through faith, so can we. You and I, through trusting in Jesus, whose death atoned for our sins, have access to God. We have a relationship with Him. And we're going to think a bit further about this now in our second point. Because of Jesus' death, not only do we have peace with God, but we also have peace with Israel. As we look at the peace that we have with Israel, this is going to illuminate the peace that we have with God. We're now going to turn to Ephesians 2, so please turn to page 1174. I'll give you a moment to turn there. Page 1174. So Ephesians 2, verse 12. Remember that at that time, you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one 
and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. And in our first point, we learned that because of the cross, we are no longer enemies, no longer enemies of God. Now we learn that we are no longer aliens, no longer aliens to God's promises. What does that mean? To whom were God's promises originally made? To Israel, right? That's why Paul says in verse 12 that we were foreigners to the covenant, to the covenant of the promise. And in Romans 9, Paul says, when speaking of Israel, theirs is the adoption to sonship. There's the divine glory, the covenants, the receiving of the law, the temple worship, and the promises. It's Israel who had the promises, the divine blessings. It's Israel who knew God. And this is what set Israel apart. But Paul says something has changed. He says that now, access to God has been blown wide open. The cross has removed the boundary that stood between Israel and the rest of humanity. So, it's no longer primarily only Israelites or Jews who have access to God. Now, anyone can draw near to him. Anyone who has faith, just like Abraham, the first Jew, had. This is why the reconciliation that the cross accomplishes between Jew and Gentile is so impactful. We now have access to God, regardless of whether we're Jewish or Gentile. We all have access to him through faith. Now, we already thought a bit about the fact that we have access to God. But Paul here in Ephesians lays out the extent of this access. Have a look at verse 19. How are we described there? As members of God's household. That's another way of saying you're part of God's family. You're part of God's family. And folks, it's not like you're just a distant cousin now. How does Paul describe God in verse 18? As father. That is who God is to us. And that means that we are his children. So when you come to God, you come to him as his cherished son or precious daughter. That's what it looks like to have access to God. It's to be able to call him Father, to know him as Father. How amazing is that? Some of you have had the privilege of having very loving fathers. And so this picture of God as Father is 
It's really comforting. However, a number of you, you may have had the opposite experience. Maybe your relationship with your father was actually quite difficult. Let me read to you what someone wrote. Um, someone who didn't have the best of relationships uh, with her dad. Listen to, that, to how that affected her understanding of God as father. I was looking at my heavenly father through the lenses of my experiences with my own father. And for me, that meant my heavenly father was distant, aloof, unavailable, hard to please, easily disappointed, quick to anger, and often hard to predict. True, I wanted to please God, but since God the Father was, to me, hard to fathom and not especially inviting, my relationship with God centered on my relationship with His Son. Jesus liked me. I wasn't so sure about his dad. I wonder if you've ever felt that way. If you have, it might be good to be reminded of how God's fatherhood is described in the Bible. Friends, when you have time, look up passages in the Bible which speak of God as Father. They are beautiful. They don't just tell us his our Father, describe what He's like as a Father. I just want to share one, one passage with you. So Jesus, in Matthew's Gospel, compares fathers on earth with our Father uh, in heaven. And He says this, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? What is Jesus saying? When it comes to loving their children, even the best of earthly fathers have nothing on God. God loves his children. Not better than a, than a bad or average father does, but better than even the tenderest and most caring father does. That is what God is like as our father. He deeply loves us and cares for us as his children. And that's the God whose child you are through faith. That's who you have access to, and that's the level of access. There is no one more precious in the world to a loving parent than their child. Does that help you see how much God values you. When he preached on propitiation, um, Kevin helpfully pointed out that God loved us before the cross. 
God loved us before the cross. But after the cross, God loves us as his children. That is who we now are. And that's because, that's all because of the cross. Friends, this is tremendously encouraging news. This is an an amazing truth to grasp. Because of Jesus' death, you have peace with God and you have peace with Israel, which means that you have access to God as his treasured children. There's one final thing I want us to, to consider about reconciliation. And this will be a shorter point, a much shorter point because of time. Uh, but it's good to consider, even, even if only briefly. A final point is this. Reconciliation means that because of Jesus' death, the cosmos will be at peace. I want us to look briefly at um, Colossians 1. Don't turn there uh, because the verses will come up on the screen. Colossians 1, verses 19 to 20. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, that's Jesus, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. In addition to the cross bringing vertical reconciliation between humanity and God and horizontal reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, the cross also brings cosmic reconciliation. But while the first two types of reconciliation, they've, they've already happened, this last one it will be consummated in the future. Brothers and sisters, as we know, things in the world, they aren't quite as they should be or as they originally were. Our world is broken, isn't it? There are floods, there are droughts, there's sickness and there's death, there's suffering and pain. But reassuringly, all of these things will one day come to an end. In the Old Testament, we find a God describing to the prophet Isaiah what this glorious future that he has prepared for his people will look like. God promises that he will create a new heavens and a new earth, a place where the sound of weeping and of crying will be heard no more, a place where there will be no death, a place where there will be no crime, a place where there will be no climate catastrophes, a place where we won't even have to make petitionary prayers. God says, before they call, I will answer. It's a place where the wolf and the lamb will feed together and the lion will eat straw like the ox. It's a place where there will be perfect peace, perfect shalom. 
And this is what Paul teaches the cross is bringing about. This indeed is what the whole creation is longing for and has been groaning for as in the pains of childbirth. But the creation will one day be liberated from its bondage to decay. The question is, are you ready for it? If you're trusting in Jesus, who died on the cross to reconcile you to God and to Israel and to reconcile the entire cosmos, then you'll have true peace. That's the power of the cross. So when we think reconciliation, let's think of the cross. All other reconciliations pale in comparison to what Jesus achieved at Calvary. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for how over the past four weeks we've been able to, to think about the, the, some of the facets of the cross. Father, we thank you that for the fact that it's achieved propitiation, that we are justified, that we've been redeemed. And Father, we thank you that you have reconciled us to yourself. There is nothing we did to deserve it. You reconciled us while we were enemies, while we were ungodly, while we were sinners. Thank you so much for your grace, your mercy, and your kindness towards us at Calvary. Father, we pray that throughout the week we would be meditating on the access that we have to you because of Jesus' shed blood for us. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.